0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, August 22nd, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good, thank you. So, you know, you and I, we, we <laughs> I was out on vacation uh, for a little bit, and so I'm, I'm feeling kind of rested and, and ready for the next... Uh, chapter here, whatever. And I wanted to thank you for a great reading recommendation that you'd given me. And I managed to get through uh, most of it during vacation. This book called Red Notice uh, by a guy named Bill Browder, who's a Stanford MBA grad and a kind of famous guy in the sort of um, what hedge fund uh, world and, you know, investment world for getting into Russia early and then having some trouble with Putin, etc. So really interesting book. So thanks, Alex, for that.
1: Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And it's a fascinating <laughs> insight into what's currently going on in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really, I'm not an expert on, you know, Russia or Russia, you know, or geopolitics. But yeah, this, I just feel like I've learned a ton in reading this book. And what's cool about it is a true story about this guy, but it's written in a way that makes it like, um, you know, who's the guy that wrote, uh, oh gosh, uh, Liar's Poker and all that stuff. It has that kind of financial thriller right. vibe to it. So it's been a lot of fun to read. Uh, in other news though, I know people are, are wondering why we're giving them reading recommendations when they need to be writing their <laughs> their essays and getting ready for round one. So what's what's on the horizon MBA admissions wise?
1: Yeah, I mean, round one deadlines are just around the corner for, for the early schools. So um, I, I think we're, we're kicking off with Oxford in August 31st, but most notably Harvard and Wharton September 7th um, and um, Duke and um, actually LBS is September 9th so yeah I mean we're only a couple of weeks away from really hitting the ground running um, at this point um, with round um, one. I do like I did sort of um, take a deeper dive into looking at all the round one deadlines and i i like to see it like um season on season um sloan coming in at the back end as usual <laughs> very yeah. good yeah. so they might get a few extra apps for for that um but yeah no round one's coming up
0: yeah definitely and i know you know we kind of we've been saying this for weeks but i think the you know the this current season the season where we're you know candidates applied this past year and are starting school now has really come to an end and i i reason i mention that is because i noticed that stanford kind of closed out their wait list it seems last week so that's uh sounds like a done deal candidates are showing up on campus and, and getting yeah. started so we're definitely full on
1: <laughs> i mean that that that's the key once preterm start, starts yeah. schools then absolutely know um, where they're at and make slight adjustments off the wait list and then cut the the remainder of what we call it Wharton, that summer wait list.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, one other thing, I know we've, you know, over the past month or so, been very excited about the launch of Clear Admit Plus and people know all about that and, and how to sign up, et cetera. I did want to mention that as part of Clear Admit Plus, we do a monthly private webinar where you and I hang out with Clear Admit Plus members, answer their questions. The next one of those is coming up on August 29th, a Monday at noon Eastern. So if you're on the fence about joining Clear Admit Plus, get on board before our next um, private webinar because we have a lot of fun in those webinars, G- get a chance to kind of answer people's questions and, you know, they're not recorded or anything. It's kind of a nice off the record conversation. So yeah, so sign up if you if you wish, you can go to bit.ly forward slash Clear Admit Plus Uh, Over on the website, Alex, we've been uh, running a lot of content. The first thing we did is we we ran a lot of admissions director Q&As. Lauren on our team has been diligently gathering those together and publishing them. So she's done interviews with admissions directors at Washington Foster. Uh, U Maryland Smith, uh, OSU Fisher, Boston College, SMU Cox, and then a couple of schools uh, in Europe, which include Manchester and IMD and Lausanne. So there's a lot of good reading on the site. And I find what's interesting about reading those is, even if you're not applying to some of these schools, you often get a lot of really great nuggets in terms of admissions advice, because we ask admissions directors for tips and strategies. And and oftentimes, the tips that they give are very universal and, and would work if you're applying to you know, NCED, Harvard, IMD, and any of these schools doesn't really matter. So give those a read if you're interested. The other thing I wanted to get your take on, Alex, is we've been running these class profiles. You know, the schools have started to publish the statistics on the incoming class. And so we ran Wharton uh, before I went on vacation. And then since then, you know, UCLA and Cornell have published their uh, class profiles. and. I'm seeing, you know, down kind of admissions volume down. And that's one of the things I wanted to mention because I know when you and I talked about the Wharton class profile a couple episodes ago, we didn't mention that. And that's because we were kind of, I think, dazzled by the numbers and the general <laughs> shape of the class and, and we, we missed the, the sort of headline news of Wharton being down fourteen percent, right?
1: Yeah. No, I mean it, it's it's super interesting, I think for sure. This last season, app volume is down across the board at many of the top schools. And for for, for, for this week, the the class profiles of Anderson um, reflect that. You said three hundred and sixty. Um, well, they reduced their class incoming class size as a somewhat potentially as a result of of their application volume being down. Um, and 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 well, we don't know that they are related, but one might make that leap of faith but yeah it looks like class size and application volumes are down and that's impacting potentially the class profiles at some of these schools
0: yeah so yeah just to put a fine point on that so UCLA's application volume was down 20 percent they do have a smaller class size as you point out they used to have a class size of 360 now it's 330. And as a result of that, you know, they they kind of have held the line on, you know, some of the counting stats, although they are down a little bit, 7% uh, in terms of women, and they're up with international students by 11%. So, so I'll hold you on that
1: statistic. Those two statistics right there, certainly when I worked at the Wharton School, the female, the, the gender split, international students versus domestic students was always smaller with the international students, right? So, you know, for example, maybe it was 35, 40% um, female with the domestic students, and maybe it was 20, 25% for the international students. So if you're admitting more international students, or you have more international students coming to your program, that's going to put a little bit of pressure on that um, gender
0: number. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they kind of work counter. Um, and so it's, yeah. it's it's interesting. You know, Cornell did not, so you mentioned Cornell also released a class profile. They did not share application volume. I assume that it was also down a bit, but they did maintain their class size um, and they managed to maintain the percentage of women at 39%. Now, interestingly, though they also had more internationals, so eight percent up internationals. But so somehow they did the, manage to dance the, the, do the dance and 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 maintain that balance. But I agree with you wholeheartedly that we see over and over again international the international pool to U.S. programs is much more male than female, or at least more so than the the domestic market. So yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on all this because I, you know, we have many class profiles to still be released, and these are just the first few. So I'll be really curious to see, and also just to understand what does this mean for application volume this season? Does it flatten out? Does it continue to go down? Uh, I don't think it's going to go up, so I think that's good news for those of you tuning in who are applying this season, but we'll see how it all unfolds. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and it'll be really interesting when we get the class profiles from Harvard and Stanford because, you know, at the very top of the, the food chain, what were their avid volumes like? And if they they were similarly off, um, then, yeah, that's a pretty, a pretty big sort of issue for this last season as it then, um, you know, we'll, we'll see then what happens in round one for this season, but I agree with you, Graham. There's nothing that makes me think that those apps are going to spike up quickly um, in round one. So it might, again, this season might be a very good opportunity to apply.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, a couple more things before we dive into the candidates for this week, which I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk about because we have a few interesting, uh, you know, kind of admission strategy pieces there. But uh, before we get into that, we had our first ever Real Humans alumni online event. So as many people know, we feature candidates on our site who are in the Real Humans Alumni Series, who are graduates of top MBA programs working at top firms. And we asked them all about how they got their jobs and how the MBA um, has proved useful in their career, etc. And so we decided to do an online event. Um, this was Mike on our team uh, who took the initiative there. And we had, you know, it, it was a real cast. I mean, gosh, we had somebody from uh, Deloitte, Disney, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, uh, and the Boston Consulting Group, and in terms of the schools they'd attended, you know, these are graduates of like Kellogg, Columbia, INSEAD, USC, Marshall, Emory. So a handful of top schools, top you know individuals who are usually a couple of years into their career at this point and there's going to be a recording, there was a recording made, so we're going to make that available on our website for people to watch, but it should be really interesting. The the conversation um, I heard from Mike was a lot of fun and and really insightful, so check that out when we publish it on the site in case you missed the actual event. Uh, Speaking of events, on September 14th, 21st, and 28th, that's three consecutive Wednesdays in the month of September, we're doing um, admissions uh, kind of essay events again, and we've got an amazing set of schools. We've got Berkeley, Yale, Chicago, Wharton, Cornell, uh, Columbia, Carnegie Mellon, Duke, Texas, UNC, Dartmouth, INSEAD, LBS, and Georgetown, all joining us over the course of those three events. So you can, you know, head over to our website and sign up for those. I don't have a short link for you today. We'll get that ready for the next episode of the podcast, but you can sign up and, and join us for those events. As always, you can also email us at info at But Alex, I know you spent some time you know going through all the recent ApplyWire entries to come up with some candidates for us to profile this week so shall we get into it <laughs> let's kick on. all right so this is wiretaps candidate number one so this first entry is an apply wire uh, entry that we received and the candidate has just three schools on the target list at the moment they are harvard stanford and wharton they want to start business school in the fall of 23 And they are currently in a role as a co-founder of an EdTech company, which they've been doing for, I guess, about seven years now. Prior to that, they worked in investment banking as an analyst at J.P. Morgan. This candidate is based in India. They have a 3.23 undergraduate GPA. And if uh, you're curious about the total length of work experience, it's actually 10 years. They would love to get into consulting or maybe eventually venture capital after their MBA. And you know, basically, it's, it's an interesting quandary in that they don't yet have a test score. Uh, the reason for that is that they're about to sit the CFA Level 3 exam, and so they claim they're going to wait to get that done this month and then proceed with GMAT preparation and apply to these schools in round two. So Alex, I just wanted to share a couple of details. This startup that the person is the co-founder of has generated a million dollars in lifetime revenue thus far. Uh, and they seeded it with only $500. Um, They have educated 200,000 low-income students and seen more than 50% of their students jump in their grades. Um, you know, they, they've got a, this person's hired, managed, and led teams of 50-plus employees in the current role. So it's a ed-tech startup, I believe, that works with corporations to help provide education to underprivileged individuals. So interesting work experience, entrepreneurial endeavor, and so on. But what what do you make of this candidate's odds? I mean, 10 years of experience, we don't have a GMAT, and they're looking at Harvard, Stanford, and Wharton.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an application that has some really super strong elements, um, but there are obviously some... Some areas of potential issue, also. So, let's start start off with the really good news. I mean, you gotta love the the professional experience. Um, starting off in in investment banking um, for three years. I mean, probably a bit of a high flyer. Um, I mean, over over in India, but nevertheless doing presumably um, that, that they were doing well at that. But then they made this really interesting move. Um, They obviously identified an opportunity um, and then went after it um, with this EdTech startup. And it appears that this EdTech startup, I mean, has has really significant impact, probably a very interesting story. Um, And, you know, they're now managing a significant number of folks and so on and so forth. So lots of growth and impact, which is what... Um, we 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 obviously like to see, so so all that stuff would would sort of really point towards you know this is a, a really high high profile candidate. Um, so where are the, the the weaker sides? I mean on on you know in terms of their sort of demographics, um, in terms of their profile, um, they're going to be um, potentially overrepresented coming from India assuming male, I don't know that we know that, but I'm making that assumption, um, and, and, and so forth. So that makes you think that they certainly would have a better chance if they implied in round one versus round two. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just sort of default. If you are overrepresented, you need to be targeting round one to maximize your chances. Therein lies a bit of an issue because they haven't yet taken the GMAT they're sort of targeting October, which would push them into round two. So that's going to be a little bit of a problem, I think, especially as they're only targeting Harvard, Stanford and Wharton. Um, Let's assume that they come back with a 740 on the GMAT. I mean, that, you know, might be uh, very hopeful, I don't know, but they're going to have to be targeting that kind of number. Um, I still think it'll be a reach, Harvard, Stanford and Wharton in round two coming from this Potentially overrepresented um, demographic. So, the question is, can they get that GMAT under the wire um, sooner? Um, is it worth delaying the CFA um, um, exam to focus on on the GMAT? Probably, if 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 if, if that's doable, and then also expanding that target school list beyond Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, I mean, I mentioned a little bit earlier Sloan's round one deadline is September 29. So they could actually get into Sloan's um, round one a little bit easier than they would be able to Harvard, which is September the 7th, for example. Um, So they've got to think about all that. And then finally, they've got 10 years of experience. So they're going to be on the longer end um, with that. So they're really going to have to show fit how they're going to fully engage and make the most of this sort of two-year experience. So lots of things to juggle here, Graham. Really love the entrepreneurial experience. Just a little bit concerned about some of these other aspects.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more. I did want to mention that they 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 wrote a note in which they said uh, to you, they said, Hi, Alex, love the podcast, never thought I'd binge listen a podcast. So they've clearly been tuning in and and hopefully picking up a lot of tips that will help them along the way. But I think one of the drums that we always beat is this round one, if you're overrepresented. And I yeah. fear that they are kind of overrepresented, even though the entrepreneurial experience is unique. I also I just really have some concerns about I mean, you know, when I think about how many candidates in the MBA program at Stanford or Harvard are over the age of 32 or 33, which is where this person likely will sit when they get there, it's it's a small number. It's a sure. really small number, and I and I wonder. Um, yeah, it just I feel like they need to cast a wider net. I'm not saying they shouldn't apply to those programs, and obviously we need a GMAT score to really know, you know, how competitive this candidate's going to be, and we don't have a lot of information on their undergraduate experience, and so. But I I just can't, and and the other thing that was just in the back of my mind as you were talking was, you know, if this person's running a company right now, why wouldn't they consider doing a part-time executive MBA from, you know, a a leading program, you know, maybe even a little closer to home, Uh, you know, there's... um, INSEAD and LBS offer stuff in the Middle East and and obviously in their home markets too. So I don't know. I'm just trying to think about what's on. What are the possibilities? And I know this candidate mentioned in the comments that they're thinking of exiting. And so obviously, if they exit and can can get out, then they want to do a full time program. I get that. But I just want to make sure that they're really considering the full slate of offerings that are out there because of their age uh, and and where they are in their career. Because they might actually find that you know, they might have a, a better experience in a program like the Sloan Masters program that's offered out of LBS. Um, that's a, a sort of a different it's like of Sloan Fellows program, I think it's called. And it's, it's a yeah. one year kind of management degree in any event, just things for them to consider. I, I would want to know more though, like about, you know, outside activities and, and, and also, um, have that test score handy. That that would be useful. So in any event, yeah, clearly impressive entrepreneurial experience. But it's I think it's still got an uphill battle in round two at these very top schools.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, completely agree. And you make a great point about those Sloan programs out of LBS and 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 so on and so forth. So yeah, um, lots to consider and um, lots to like, but you know, question marks for sure.
0: Agreed. Um, all right, well, I want to wish them the best of luck, and hopefully they enjoy <laughs> hearing their profile, uh, you know, dissected and, and analyzed here. Uh, so thanks for submitting that. And let, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another ApplyWire entry from a candidate who wants to start school in the fall of twenty three. Uh, They've been working in engineering in the A and D industry. I, uh, shamedly, I had to Google this. That's the aerospace and defense industry. I'm just not, I don't ever remember these acronyms. Uh, the schools that they're targeting are Berkeley, Michigan, Kellogg, uh, Chicago, Wharton, and Yale. They, uh, as I said, have been working in engineering, initially in a very technical role, but now in more of a business role, and they want to do some consulting after business school. They're targeting Bain, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey, and PwC. They have a whopping 770 on the GMAT and a 3.52 GPA. They've had five years of work experience located in Los Angeles and hope to kind of come back there, but are actually targeting schools you know, all around the U.S. Um, and they mentioned that part of that's because they want to maybe live somewhere else for a bit before returning. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that they, uh, you know, they talk about how they don't have a ton of outside activities. I did want to clarify though that they did do. Um, I guess they they did a master's degree in engineering, right? So and they completed that. I guess in the early phases of their career so it must have been part-time and so that's part of the reason why there might be some limited outside activities but i'll let you you had some back and forth with them so i'll let you weigh in and, and tell me what you think of this candidacy yeah i
1: mean the, this this candidate um is you know engineer it looks like they've done well at work um in terms of switching from a highly technical role into sort of you know more of a sort of a business function role or at least and that's where they're wanting to move forward i love their term they're looking want to look look at stuff more from a human centered perspective yeah i
0: saw that well that
1: that's marketing right (laughs) so they 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 want to become a marketer i love that um (laughs) as a seasoned marketer without any technical skills like me um so so i think there's a lot of opportunity there they're obviously super smart i mean you don't get a 770 on the g-man if you're not super smart they've done a master's degree um in engineering so they might be even a bit of a bit of a nerd as it were um but but lots I, i think a lot to like here and a lot of sort of you know um obviously for, from the academics um, it's going to be super strong the numbers are very very, very strong um their evolution at work looks really really um strong um they might maybe sort of fine tune a little bit um um their goals maybe there's an industry focus well they they want to go back ultimately into the aerospace and defence industry which is um very very good um so Frankly Graham, I think this person is a super strong candidate. I'm going to throw a question back to you. However Um, We don't know the gender of this candidate right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: now if this is a female candidate Does that make them a stronger candidate than if they were a male candidate?
0: Uh, For me? It does just because there are fewer Engineers, engineering masters—you know—technical candidates in the in the female applicant yeah. pool than there are in the male pool. So, yeah, yeah. I mean that—that's
1: my point. Um, so, so, and and it, I do think this does make a difference because if you're a female engineer and obviously done very well. Um, you know, you're you're kind of swimming upstream a little bit in your work environment, potentially. Um, it's going to be a little bit more male-dominated in that engineering function, potentially. Um, so there are going to be potentially more challenges to your work situation and so on and so forth. So um, I guess my point being, um, if, if that is the case, and I've got a sneaking suspicion that is the case, um, that potentially elevates... The profile a little bit. It makes me think, well, you know, Stanford or a program like that should be on their radar. Um, obviously, then it's a real question as to how they tackle that fantastic Stanford first essay, what means most to you and why. Um, but but I do think it's an important um, um, factor to consider it. What I'm not saying is it's easier to get an MBA if, if you're female. What I am saying is because this candidate. Well, if this candidate is female, they may have faced more challenges in their environments, and therefore ha- have to striven more to overcome and do some, you know, do do more stuff basically to prove who they are. So, Interesting. Yeah, I and I think um, they might be they might be female, and therefore um, they should target um, Stanford.
0: i I had not thought i had not thought about the gender of this candidate. i wasn't sure and so yeah but but you're right if 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 it's female candidate engineering engineering masters etc swimming upstream all will will work in their favor one of the things i liked about this candidate you know and and i know there might be some issues with the extracurriculars because they were pursuing a master's for the first three years of their career that's you know but 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 even that graham and and i i do believe this, if they were super active
1: in their undergraduate, they've shown a behavior for participation and for getting involved and for doing things. They have a a couple of, I'm not calling them excuses, but reasons for not being currently super active. One is they did the masters. And then secondly, coming out of the masters part time, presumably we're in the midst of COVID.
0: That's correct. And they they have been doing some volunteer work at a food bank. They're not, you know, I, I would encourage them to think about whether there are other things they do, like maybe they're a runner or they they regularly exercise, or, you know, it's not, the main thing is just to show that you're well-rounded. And and yeah, I agree with you. If they have a nice track record from undergrad, plus the first three years of this five-year career, they were pursuing a (laughs) part-time degree while working full-time, that, that, you know, certainly rounds things out. So the only thing I was gonna say, and this really struck me, I'm gonna just read a quote that this candidate shared in their post. Um, They said, I started my career in an extremely technical role, but have been in an integration role for the last one and a half years where I manage, schedule, budgets, and delegate tasks. Through my move from a technical role to an integration role, I've learned that I'm energized by getting to solve business problems and figuring out ways to best support those around me. Now, the reason I'm reading that is because that is like textbook... that's like almost like a textbook, perfect response for an engineer who wants to go to business school. Like I love hearing an engineer say something like that. It's like I was doing technical stuff, but then I got pulled into this more business related, you know, role. And that's gotten me really fired up. And that's what I like to do. And that's and it's a perfect sort of pitch for going back and getting a degree in business. And so I just the reason I call called it out is not only is it really well written, but it just suggests to me that this person's gonna be really great at expressing his or her kind of need for the MBA and and just sort of saying all the right things in the process. Cause I, I really, you know, no edits I would have to that kind of statement right there. Like they really, you know, summed it up very succinctly. Um, packed a lot of information into those couple of sentences, and I just thought it was really worth kind of calling out, in my view.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more.
0: So, uh, what do you think about the school selection? You know, they talk about how they want to go back to L.A., um, but then they have a lot of, you know, schools on the list that are, you know, they got Michigan, they've got Chicago, Wharton, Yale. None of those schools are near L.A. Um, Obviously, Michigan has a presence in L.A., and we know that Kellogg sends a fair number of people, and Wharton does as well, to California. But... I guess, yeah, the question is, is you, I know you had said to them, Hey, what about Stanford? What about Anderson? Yeah. You know, what do you think of this strategy of, well, I know I'm coming back to LA, but I want to go live somewhere else for a while just for, to do the MBA.
1: <laughs> Certainly they need to apply to Stanford. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, the reason for not applying for Stanford was the admit rate for Stanford is, is so uh, uh, onerous, but um, at the end of the day, if you don't apply, then you're not getting admitted. Right. So you, you're completely disqualifying yourself. So, I think they really need to look at that first essay and really need to sort of do that level of introspection to see if Stanford could potentially be an, an option for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, it's interesting because if, if you know you want to be in L.A., sort of short and long term, then that's where your networks need to be. Um, and that presents a really strong argument for a local top business school, the, the, where the majority of their alumni are in that region. So that points to Anderson, for example. Um, but and but they, you know, their sort of refrain from that is, well, they, they like Anderson, they visited and so on and so forth. They want to take a, a spell away from L.A. Yeah. to then return to L.A. And I think that's... That's interesting. It's a little bit of a luxury type mm-hmm. sort of decision because you are potentially compromising right. the the longer term because your networks are going to be a little bit more diluted in that regard. But you know, how many how you, at the end of the day, how, how valuable, how important is that network, I guess yeah. is is the answer to the question.
0: And and I, I would actually argue that um, if someone were to say to me, okay. This person wants to be in la after business school and they've gotten into anderson and you know wharton i still think you would argue that you go to the best school that you can get into and that wharton you know or harvard or stanford are in a sort of a tier above in a way that they have these networks and that you're going to be better served even even despite the non-local nature of those programs so no, yeah. I I completely agree with that. Where
1: the argument starts to fall down is when you compare Anderson to, let's say, Yale or yeah. Ross or whatever. So at, at schools within their same tier, right,
0: right, should Anderson be more appealing? Right. Yeah. That's then. That's the that's the rub. Um, and so I I yeah. think you know obviously this candidate has a seven seventy on the GMAT. Really interesting work experience in terms of this pivot from technical into more managerial. Uh, they've got a master's degree. I, I think they have all the components. You know, as I said, the good good head on their shoulders in terms of explaining this need for the MBA. So I think they need to go to a M7 type school, and I would argue that any of the M7s will probably you know serve them well um, in terms of yeah. if they you know they'll probably be able to pick their you know go back to to LA if that's what they really want to do. So I think they you're right. They have, might have that luxury. Um,
1: and Palo Alto would be a bit closer yes. <laughs> than
0: Pennsylvania. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So in any event, um, I did want to thank that uh, poster for putting up their profile on the site. Hopefully they're tuning in to, to hear this advice and can leave us some additional comments if they have questions. But yeah, I want to wish them luck as they travel through the admissions journey. Um, Alex, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So this third candidate is another 2023 start date for their MBA. Uh, they've got five schools on the target list and those schools are Dartmouth, Harvard, Kellogg, Chicago, and Wharton. This is a military uh, candidate who is enlisted and is a uh, I guess is in the army as a Chinese linguist. Uh, they wanna get into consulting after the military and after business school. So they've got Bain, BCG, Ernst Young, McKinsey, and PwC on their list. They have a GMAT score another amazing score uh, for for this week here 760 they've got a GPA of 3.38 They've been working for seven years or serving, I guess, um, although I think they also had some some work before they uh, enlisted in the military. They're located in Hawaii right now, and they would love to land either in the Midwest or the East Coast, which is why their schools uh, are all either in the Midwest or on the East Coast in terms of those target schools. And they mention in the notes, they say, I'm an enlisted army uh, Chinese linguist working in, in the intelligence field. They graduated from a top 50 school majoring in economics. They have some light extracurriculars, uh, some tutoring, and they they do some work at an animal shelter. Uh, It's a white male, 29 years old. And they also mentioned that they love the podcast, which now I now (laughs) see that, Alex, that must be why you picked them for the show, though there may be other reasons too. But what what do you make of this candidacy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this candidate has a little bit of an unorthodox pathway to to the military, Um, or or so it seems to me, Um, and quote, I'm enlisted army Chinese linguist uh, working intelligence field, and they worked a few years in very insignificant jobs, first and then enlisted. Um, so those their words so, insignificant, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> th- th- those are all their words. So. So, maybe out of the seven years of work experience one or two years where they sort of wandered around a little bit, then they they enlisted, and that sort of allowed them to find their focus, their maturity and their contribution, their growth, their impact, and so on and so forth, which I think is perfectly um, perfectly fine, I think adcom will will appreciate that sort of self awareness and and, and and honesty and, and as much as anything else in terms of how they articulate that um, obviously having a 760g mat is, is going to be super uh, uh, su- su- super helpful um, mm-hmm. in you know that their GPA three three eight is going to be a little bit, bit lower than average, but the, having a seven sixty gmat is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it should help. Um, so, so I think I think that's all all um, quite good. So they're enlisted; they're in uh, um, Chinese. They're, they're working as a as a as a linguist in the intelligence field. So <laughs> presumably, they're probably doing some quite interesting um, um, work um, and 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 so forth. And we know. Um, geopolitically, the importance of having, um, you know, chi- you know, of understanding China. Um, you know, China is going to be the largest economy in the world in the not too distant future, I presume. I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but that just seems to be what what's going to be the case. Um, so, so you know, potentially, this candidate with a with a good, you know, a strong top MBA has a lot of opportunity going forward. Um, if, 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 you know, they're steered back into that sort of um, um, focus on Asia and, and, and so forth. Um, so I think, frankly, there's, there's potentially lots of, like. I was a bit surprised that Ross isn't on their, um, their target list of programmes. I, I, I could see sort of Kellogg-Ross being the sort of sweet spot in terms of where they, where they should be targeting um, in terms of a couple of top schools in slightly different tiers. Um but yeah, I think there's a lot to like here, Graham.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You know, we talk about their goals. They talk about wanting to get in consulting and then they say, you know, maybe working um I think their exact words were working towards an exact position in a company in the defense realm. And so the the thing that jumped out at me, and I you were I think alluding to this, is that you know, it doesn't. I don't hear anything about China or Chinese or using you know some of the skills and and you know maybe cultural uh, awareness that they have now in that future role. Now I mean, maybe they would. I, I don't know, but I, I think if I were this candidate, I would underline that bit because I think it's interesting. It'll help them to stand out, as you say any admissions reader knows that China is an important country, a growing country in terms of its, you know, um, (laughs) the size of its economy and, and yeah, just geopolitically. So I I just feel like they're missing an opportunity if they say, yeah, I want to do consulting and then go work in defense and they're not going to, you know, play up that sort of China angle. So I I would encourage them to think about that. As far as the school selection, you know, 760, 3.38, they've got the numbers to get into any of these kind of top schools, I like that they're kind of maybe a bit of a bootstrapper, had to find their way and and then work their way up in the military. So there's there's a lot to like. I um, Yeah, Michigan was an interesting omission given that they have this Midwest interest. Um, so, you know, I, I would throw that into the mix. What do you think about their chances that, you know, the kind of Harvard and Whartons of the world that are on their list? Like, do you think that they you know, have a chance, is it, I mean, the, the numbers seem to line up. They're a little bit older, I guess, um, than the average candidate, but that's common for military, right? So do, do you think that this is, is there enough here to make this person like a Harvard candidate? Or are you thinking, oh no, they're going to end up more in kind of another M7 or, or the, that next group of top schools?
1: Well, it could be that they end up at another M7, but if they don't apply to Harvard, then they'd always wonder if, if they should have applied to Harvard. Right, so, right. So, I think from an application strategy standpoint, they need to apply to Harvard. Um, You know, certainly, you know, you're coming in in as an enlisted um, candidate. Um, You know, the default might be that you're not um, in in the same bracket as, as other military candidates coming in. But it's about what you've done, what you've learned, how you've grown and your impact and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I know enlisted candidates that have been successful um, in gaining admissions to top you know, M7 programs. I'm still friends with one that was at Wharton at the time I was there. Yeah. Um, so so it, it's all doable. It, de- it does depend about on their specific experience. Um, and i i I agree with you also Their their goal focus could be strengthened a little bit to help bolster their overall candidacy in that regard
0: yeah totally and i also wonder they're in hawaii now but i wonder if over the course of the several years they've likely been in the military if they've been posted to other places and had you know other kind of international experiences too so there's potentially a lot to like we don't have all the details here uh, and some of them they probably couldn't even share with us. But, <laughs> um, but I want to yeah, thank them for their service, but also for you know, posting to the site and sharing this profile because it is a little bit unorthodox. And I think they're, you're right. They're barking up the right tree. They've got a good mix of schools and, and should give it a go. And I, I feel like they're going to land at one of these programs on their list. Um, good insights, though, from you to maybe consider Ross as well. Uh, anything else on this one, Alex? No, I think, I
1: mean, I wish them the best of luck as, yep. as, as with uh, all our, all three candidates, obviously today.
0: Yeah. So I want to thank you for picking these out, uh, week in and week out. Um, so appreciate that. And we'll come back in one week's time and do it all again.
1: Very good. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.